Welcome to Leadership Conversations with Josh Reich and Casey Sees. We have the conversations leaders want to have so they can win at leadership. Now, on to our show. Welcome yet to another episode of Leadership Conversations. This is Casey Cease, and I'm joined with my co-host, Josh Reich. Josh, glad to be with you here today, man. Yeah, Casey, I'm really excited. We are doing a series right now that we started last episode uh, looking at self-leadership because one of our goals here at Leadership Conversations um, is to have conversations that leaders want to have, that leaders wish they could have with somebody. And, and really, our hope is that these conversations will help you to lead better. And so uh, last episode, we we looked at a little bit of my journey in uh, self-leadership and health as it relates to weight loss. And so today, we're going to look a little bit deeper into, into Casey's leadership. And so uh, Casey's written um, in different places before uh, about his story. Um, and, and so I want to take some time to just dive into that because I think it's going to be helpful to many of us. I know it's going to be encouraging to a lot of us. And so, Casey, why don't you just give us a, a quick snapshot? Uh, you're in the great nation of Texas. Yes. And um, give us a quick snapshot of, of, of just your journey. Are you from Texas? Um, no, nah, man, I was born in Miami, Florida. I come from a long line of tan Jews on my dad's side. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> a bunch of Jewish lawyers. And, I mean, you think about you think about family gatherings being argumentative. These These guys are... Uh, man, they're passionate and it's a lot of fun to be around my dad's side of the family, the, uh, the lawyers and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I, I'm from Miami. got to Texas as quick as I could though. Okay. So you started a church, you've started several nonprofits along the way. I mean, what does, what does leadership in life look like for you right now? Yeah, man. So I, I've had an entrepreneur bug since I was about 13 years old. I started a DJ company and my, my dad is always very supportive. My parents were really supportive. Uh, on me trying things. And I just didn't know, like looking back now, I was like, what, what human being, what adult would allow a 13 year old kid or 14 year old kid to come DJ their junior high dances and pay them several hundred dollars? You know, like in hindsight, it's pretty crazy. I just, the way I'm wired, I never, I never thought twice about it. I was like, why wouldn't you? I'll, I'll be cheaper. I'll give you a hundred percent money back guarantee. And we did it. And so um, interesting that Lee, uh, I was actually very, very shy as a child. I grew up um, by the time I was in first grade, I was struggling with anxiety and uh, had bouts of depression. By the time I was in third grade, I went to a psychologist and uh, it wasn't until I was 22 years old that I was diagnosed with ADHD and dyslexia because my my hyperactivity was inside my brain, not really acting out. Um, you know, like some kiddos, they're, they're bouncing all around. Mine was really more just in my brain, having a hard time focusing, obsessing about things, everything else. And so, um, you know, I didn't like school. I did fine in school. Uh, I was later told that my uh, IQ was high enough that I was able to make do with what I had. Um, got into middle school and uh, really started liking girls and admitting I liked girls and going with girls. And, uh, and then we moved from a more urban setting to a suburban setting um, in Sugarland, Texas, which is a uh, part of a suburb of Houston, Texas, and got into high school there and started partying, started drinking a little bit. And, you know, I had my parents had my uh, had girlfriends along the way. And I, I was always, you know, as much as I could, a long term guy. And so by the time I got to junior year of high school, I was with a long term relationship with a girl and uh, great girl. Uh, we didn't get along the best. And I, I would looking back, I would put a lot of that on myself, just, just unstable struggling with depression a lot by that point in my life, um, you know, drinking and, you know, binge drinking and experimenting with drugs a little bit and uh, materialistic and vain and all those things that go along with being 
in an area of affluence, uh, you know, as a teenager without Christ. And so got, went to church some, you know, on and off, went through a confirmation thing when I was 11, but never really, you know, understood Jesus. And by the time I got into high school, I thought I was smarter than Jesus. And uh, even, you know, I would say I was probably an agnostic just to curb my bets a bit, but, um, you know, I didn't really know or love Jesus. And so um, the summer after my junior year of high school, I uh, was in a car crash that resulted in the death of a friend of mine. I had been drinking that night and left a party very upset and decided to come back towards my house. But uh, my friend thought I was going to hurt myself, I think. And he ran in front of my car to stop me. Uh, I tried to swerve the same direction or I tried to swerve to the side to, to miss him. I was going very fast. He jumped the same direction. His body rolled up the hood of my car and smashed through the windshield, lost control of the car. Uh, to make a really long story short, uh, he was killed instantaneously. And um, I was unconscious and then went to the hospital and just this whole mess ensued. Uh, a key point takeaway from that, though, was when I was in a, my parents put me in a mental hospital after I was released from the hospital. I was placed on suicide watch and my friend's parents came to see me. And I had met his mother maybe once or twice. I, I didn't recall meeting his dad before then. But I remember them telling me, Casey, we forgive you. We're Christians. We don't want you to hurt yourself. And it was really meaningful looking back on you know, that moment in my, my journey uh, of having someone extend grace to me because I, I couldn't fathom that, you know, their boy was gone and, it, you know, I, I was, I was at fault and super kind to them. So, you know, went back to high school that next year. I met my wife, Stephanie in high school after my crash. And the irony is her dad's a cop. And so I had to go, or he's retired now, but he was a cop and I had to, <laughs> he wouldn't let her go out with me, but he'd give me a shot. So I went and hung out at their house for like a month and he got to know me and realized that, you know, I was, you know, a teenager that made a really bad choice and, you know, but was gener generally pretty kind. And uh, so they let, let her, his daughter hang out with me and the mom, her mom let her hang out with me. And so, you know, we started building a budding relationship then. Uh, I graduated high school and I went to court and bled no contest of fourth degree state jail felony of negligent homicide. Uh, I was placed on five years of uh, probation, given 200 hours of community service. Uh, had a breathalyzer in my car. And so part of my community service, I asked the judge if I could speak to kids. And he said I could spend 20 of my 200 hours speaking. And so I was on the front page of the newspaper the next day and uh, started getting a bunch of requests to come share my story. So 17 years old, mid-June of 1996, I started speaking. In March of 1996, I went to a church revival at the Methodist Church that I had grown up in and heard a guest speaker talk about John chapter five and Jesus asked uh, the paralyzed man if he wanted to be well. And I remember the, the preacher looking out at the audience and asked, do you want to be well? And I remember in my soul, I, I, I had been reading a, a Bible. My mom had gotten me reading the new Testament. And I realized that God was true and I still had my doubts, but I realized that he's likely true. And Jesus is the savior. If, if, if this whole thing was going to work, Jesus was my only hope. And so uh, with what grain of mustard seed faith that the Lord uh, graced me with, I, um, I, I, I see that as a pivotal marker in my faith journey now, not being a, a Baptist or, you know, evangelistic church in the sense of, you know, come forward and pray the prayer. I didn't do that that night, but God started doing something in me that night and had been working in me and as, as we would say, drawing me, if you will. Uh, so as a new believer, I started speaking to my peers about drinking and driving. And um, over the next year, I was asked by the church to be a youth intern. And a couple of years later, became the youth minister there. I uh, had been traveling many days a year speaking. And, and so it began take, big, building a momentum. Uh, when I was 22 years old, I nearly dropped out of college. I was about to get married, struggling with anxiety and depression profoundly. I uh, was a student minister and trying to do college and went to my dad and said, hey, I think I'm going to drop out. And him being the... Uh, 
ex-military guy with a master's in law, which is a degree above a law degree. He said, <laughs> he said, no, you're not, you're not going to drop out, but let's, let's figure this out and get you some help. And so we got connected with the counselor and, um, she's like, Hey, has anyone ever told you you're dyslexic? And I was like, no. And she's like, well, yeah, you are. And you know, you likely have ADHD. And so started relearning how to read it at age 22, went to a, a doctor who's a believer and, uh, he, put me on some meds and all of a sudden I went from nearly dropping out to graduating college with honors, uh, magnum cum laude and, uh, and then went on to seminary from there and took six years from my MDiv because by that time I had built my nonprofit transform ministries and was traveling and speaking uh, by 2004, I was on the road speaking about a hundred days a year. Um, and so, um, yeah, and just, you know, we've been involved in church planning since 2002, uh, Crossbridge Community Church in Sugarland was on the launch team there, uh, was sent from there in 2007 to go to Brenham, Texas to plant, which is now Redeemer Church in Brenham and was the founding, one of the founding elders and the community pastor and was bivocational there as well. And then, uh, was sent out here to the Woodlands Magnolia area, North of Houston in 2011 or 2010. And we launched our services in 2011. So, uh, now the pastor's Christ Community Church at C3.Church. And in 2014, I released, or 2013, I released my book, Tragedy to Truth, which tells more of the story and journey along the way. But um, my path to leadership, especially in the public eye, was not one that I advocate or recommend to other people for sure. Um, but, but it's something that the Lord and His kindness had opened up doors and opportunities. Uh, another key point, when, in 2009, when I graduated from seminary, I got certified as a business coach because I wanted to um, missionally connect with people in my community and help. Uh, one way, one of the ways I thought I could improve our community is by helping influence those who are either currently leaders or becoming leaders in our community. So um, that that's something that's in my tool chest as well along the way. So it, it take a very long story and make it shorter. That that's a bit of my journey along the way. Okay. Well, I know one of the things that we really wanted to zero in on um, is just part of the journey for you as a pastor um, related to ADHD. Um, and you've written about it, which I have found really just encouraging and just helpful for me. And so looking at your story, um, when, when you were diagnosed with that, was, was it a surprise in college? No, it was clarifying really, because I I just thought I, I was lazy, you know? You know, okay. I, I, I was like, man, why can't, you know, these, these other kids are all, you know, focusing, setting hours upon hours. And I would sit for hours and hours, but then I'd go check something or I'd do something. Right. I just could never, you know, I'd rarely get in the zone. And really what, one of the key points that my doctor was, is I would go get what, you know, uh, in high school kids would take a lot of mini thins, which were ephedrine pills. Um, and I didn't take many, but I would start using those to study. And man, all of a sudden I could study. Um, and I told my doctor that he's like, Hey, that's, your heart's going to blow up if you do that. Um, you know, you, you have ADHD. Why don't you try this medication called Ritalin, um, and do an extended release. So it's not gonna be as brutal on your body. And, and so I started doing it and all of a sudden it was like things that were blurry became clear. I still had to form new habits. And that's the thing I think people miss along the way is, um, you know, the purpose of medication isn't to do the work for you. The purpose of medication is to help you to do the work that needs to be done to form different habits. And that goes with any type of psychotropic drugs um, is the aim of, of medication isn't to numb or fix. The aim of that is to, to give us the tools or the, the rails we need to form new habits that work with how we think. And um, one of the, the, the most paralyzing things that, that I've sought freedom f- uh, from and the Lord is the comparison game. Um, mm-hmm comparing myself to my buddies that, you know, I have a pastor friend in my area that this, this dude is, 
I think he's like 32 or 31, something like that. And he's brilliant and smart and manuscripts and writes books. And it's just so like, I think he even has a tweed jacket, like, you know, Piper. And I mean, th- this cat is, <laughs> he's on point and uh, I appreciate the heck out of him, but I'm okay now nearly 40 saying I'm not that guy. I mean, we're, yeah. we're not the same people. God's wired me with unique gifts and there are definitely areas I can improve upon in the sense that I'm not saying advocating that I shouldn't, you know, learn from other brothers in the faith and other sisters in the faith. Um, but one thing that I do is like, Hey, God made me, um, you know, while I would argue that, you know, attention deficit disorder, attention deficit hyperactivity it may be a consequence of the fall. I would just say it's amplified from, I've heard people call it the entrepreneur's kiss, if you will. Okay. Um, you know, that, that, there's certain of those of us who are wired that can think more abstractly. Um, you know, uh, there's a book called the myth of multitasking and I agree multitasking in and of itself, the ways our, our, our conscious brains are wired. We're not meant to be doing tons of many things at a time. The difference is, is some people with ADHD can switch between those focuses much quicker. Um, and, and so it's not that we're focusing on 18 different things. It's that there's a switch going on in our brain that's happening more frequently maybe than other folks. And so, okay. um, you know, so that's there, you know, the, so the comparison thing I, I think is really important that ultimately when we're called to ministry, God's calling you, he's not calling you to be the next, you know, Matt Chandler or John Piper or Stephen Furtick or whomever he's calling you to be you and, yeah. uh, and to become conformed more into the image of Christ. Um, so that, those, those are some important learns along the way as a leader that, um, you know, that, that's really, um, helped me out. So before we get to some of the, the things for, for listeners who are listening to this and maybe, um, have walked the same road or, um, what's been the reaction in Christian circles? Um, in leadership circles, has it been the same? Has it been different? <laughs> no, man. I, I was. I still remember. I wrote this in one of my articles, sitting on a plane, and uh, this lady. Uh, this lady looked at me, and um, um, and I, I told her my story, and she said, uh, um, she said, "Don't speak that truth over yourself." Like, because I said I had ADHD and dyslexia. She's like, "Don't speak that over yourself." And I want to say, "Look, lady, I'm I'm just speaking what is, you know." Yeah. Um, uh, I, I once had, I had another brother in the faith, you know, I, I think was helpful. And he said, man, he's like, you can tell you're a pretty sharp dude, but you know, thank God for a thorn like this that keeps you from being a complete jerk. You know, that there's, there's like a governor, if you will, to keep your mind from, you know, there's limitations, you know, in the same way that I view fatigue now as a grace from God, keeping me from thinking I am God. Um, mm. Those, those physical and, and mental and, and performance-based limitations that we have, I think are a reminder. So when I, when I take my Concerta in the morning and I'm not endorsing medication or not, I know some people, you know, believe in natural remedies, whatever, but I believe, you know, that that's a reminder to me that I'm submitted under the authority of God. I'm submitted under the authority of, of my doctor who is a follower of Jesus and it doesn't over medicate and is, you know, a brilliant guy. I, and, and it's, it's an, it's a reminder of grace. And so hmm. I'm not saying that, you know, people have to do it, but you know, it's still a stigma in many circles. Like when I work with pastors who are struggling with depression, right like you you shared in your story last episode about gaining weight like people are medicating whether they're taking medication or not and it's definitely idolatry that we have to deal with idols in our heart but also there's there's effects on our body that that can be um you know handled or dealt with in in specific ways whether it's dietary or medicinally or uh, herbally or whatever the, the things are and so um you know i i at the end of the day i've got to figure out okay you know, 
under the authority of scripture, under the authority of God, under the authority of my elders in community, community with my wife and some close friends, you know, am I doing the best I can with what I have and trying to lean into how I'm wired the best I can? Yeah. So how has, what are some ways that you've seen this, um, just impact your leadership? Yeah. So, um, you know, I, like I said earlier with the comparison thing, I, I used to try to build my rhythm around what other people are doing. And I, I just don't process the same way or think the same way. Um, you know, when I, when I'm preparing sermons, I'm, I'm like a pressure cooker. Like this morning I, I went and printed out the passage I'm going to be preaching next week and just did some basic exegesis, meaning, you know, going through drawing from scripture, some key points, marking it up. I realize I'm a multi-sensory learner, so I'll take a highlighter, a pen and as digital as I love being like, I, I've got logos open on one screen right now, the Bible software, but I've got my printouts of my, my scripture. I'll sort of highlighters and pens and I'll draw pictures at times. Uh, one of the ways I relearned to read was finding trigger words that would cause me to stop in comprehension and create claymation, if you will, describing it so I can create a picture for it. So oftentimes in my sermon prep, I'll sit there with a piece of paper, drawing out lines and diagrams to connect points that make sense in my brain. So then I can better tell the story. And so uh, I sort of just stopped. I, I, I just felt liberty from how everybody else does it. And then found my own way. I believe that the word of God through the Holy Spirit will teach us. And then I'll go from there to commentaries or background. Um, much how many people do exegesis, but I, I didn't feel that um, it's there. When it comes to business stuff, um, and th- this, is, this is one of the graces I, I've learned from this. My, the way I'm wired forces me to need a good team around me. Uh, I, I, it forces me to delegate my weaknesses. It forces me to find things. So for instance, um, I, I connect with a friend of mine online who, um, pastors a small church who's finishing up his PhD and loves research, just a linear thinker, uh, very organized in his research, very good at what he does. And, um, and I asked him, I said, Hey, there, there's a few sermons I'm working on. Would you mind compiling some research on this topic? I didn't ask him to write my sermon. I didn't ask him to, to develop my points or anything like that. I said, will you do some research? He said, yeah, man, can you pay me 12 bucks an hour and I'll do it in four hours. So under 50 bucks, I got four hours of doctorate level research together wow. that I was, in, it was just organized. It was captured and organized in an accessible manner that I was able then to go in and do that. Um, as a, a Macintosh guy, I use some apps. One's called Isolator. Basically, what it does is it it focuses on one um, one screen at a time or one window at a time, and everything else is blacked out so that you can focus on one screen so you don't have all these other things popping at you. Um, I turn off all uh, notifications on my phone and keep it on Do Not Disturb. And so my wife's on my favorite list and a few other key team leaders, so they know they can call through if they need me instantly. Um, but I'm not constantly distracted because it takes a lot longer for me to get in deep focus um, yeah. and stay there. If I'm kicked out of it, it's much easier for me to get off, kicked off of that. Uh, there's okay. also when I was getting over my uh, social media addiction, I started using an app called Antisocial. Um, that, uh, helps me block from Facebook and Twitter and all that kind of stuff for a limited amount of time. And so I try to position myself for success along the way, uh, where I could have that, um, in place. So as you think just in your journey, you're talking to a pastor, a leader, um, who's walked this road. Um, and before we get to maybe some helpful things for, for the people around that leader. Um, Cause I think that's an important part of this conversation, at least just as I'm sitting here listening uh, to you talk, uh, what are some things that you would say to the pastor, the leader, the entrepreneur um, who has walked the road that you've walked? 
a couple things. First of all, I would say that um, I think it's often viewed as a burden rather than a blessing. And I think even our thorns can be a blessing to us because it, it reminds us of our limitations and our dependency on Christ. Second of all, I would say, um, you know, as you learn and go through use communication uh, and let people know where you're at, what you need, I, I, I don't use it as an excuse. Like sometimes I joke and be like, oh, that's an ADHD moment. But most of the time it's like, I am who I am. I'm wired how I'm wired. I bring some strong gifts to the table and I've got some pretty profound weaknesses. And, and I try to own my weaknesses as much as I own my strengths, but not be defined by those things. I think it's very important that my definition is still found in Christ, who I am in Christ. And so I'm not, you know, I tell people I, I struggle with ADHD or I have ADHD, but I'm not ADHD. Um, and I'll say that in passing like vernacular, but I don't walk around like I'm ADHD or I'm a heterosexual reformed ADHD dyslexic pastorpreneur who publishes book, blah, blah, blah. No, no, I'm Casey created in the image of, of God redeemed through Christ to become more like Christ. I'm covenantly attached to my wife, Stephanie, have my beautiful daughters, Braylon and Abigail, I pastor Christ community church. Um, there's a lot of things I do, but it doesn't necessarily speak to who I am, who I am is Christ's. And so that helps me get over the stigma. Uh, and number three is like, not everybody's going to agree with how you handle it. I mean, and you just got to get over people not understanding. Um, it's not fair. You know, I don't understand what it's like being a woman. I just don't. There's so many different things about being a woman. I tell Stephanie this all the time. I can sympathize as much as I'm able to, but there's just certain aspects of being female that I just don't know. I don't understand. I'm not going to pretend like I do. And so in the same way as someone with ADHD or dyslexia, quit expecting people who don't go through what you go through to understand. Um, it's okay that they don't fully get it. And it's okay that they may look down on it. I mean, you know, you hear people talk about kids with ADHD and, you know, old, old school people say, well, they should have just gotten spanked more. I know plenty of ADHD kids that got the crud kicked out of them that still struggle. Um, and, and so, uh, I think it's more than just rubbing some dirt on it, but at the same time, not negatively, not allowing that definition to, to prevent you from doing what you're wired and called to do. Yeah. Now, how would you help leaders, spouses, um, who are walking with a, with an employee, a team member, um, a pastor, a friend, um, with ADHD, with, with dyslexia? Yeah, I, I wouldn't minimize them. I would explore with them. Um, there are certain ways that our brains are wired that, that makes us a real asset to a team. And so I would start, I would start, you know, like, like, like they talk about in the book, the one minute manager, they say, instead of always catching people and and acknowledging when they're doing something wrong, catch them doing something right. Um, and so maybe there's a pronounced or profound creativity that takes place or the fact that they get things really, they do really good job really quickly when they're done procrastinating. Um, one of the things that, um, um, that, that is helpful along the way is, um, having, um, you know, uh, giving them permission to explore different ways of doing things, um, and giving them permission to not, for it to not work. Uh, one of the resources I've done that's been extremely helpful to me is called the Colby index, a K O L B E index. A it's like 45 bucks. What it does, it's a cognitive tool teaches you how you work. Cognitive is how you think. Cognitive, C-O-N-A-T-I-V-E, teaches you how you work. And so I recommend for any team leader um, to have someone, uh, you know, especially if someone's having a hard time figuring out how they work, what they do, to do that so they have a greater self-understanding of how they work. Like I know for me that, man, the icing on the cake comes uh, last minute for me. 
And so I position myself for success where I bake the cake by Tuesday. My notes are ready for my sermon most weeks. By Thursday, they're polished enough to send to my worship guy, Gatlin, who does uh, the notes. But Sunday mornings when I wake up and finally do the final beautification, the final pieces, um, I make sure my sermons, Lord willing, at a B plus uh, by Thursday afternoon. But if I had that extra time on Sunday to maybe because I've been pressure cooking all week long, thinking about it, praying about jotting down notes. Um, if I need to, then there's some final things that come up. And it also, because I'm, I'm a bit spontaneous when I preach, even though I have a good outline and notes now, things come to me, I believe, one, by the Holy Spirit, and also partly by leveraging the way my brain works, that on the fly I can come up, either if it's a, a humorous uh, thing or it's an illustration that really clicks, I, pr- I prepare myself for success because I understand now how my brain works. See, I think one of the things you said that was really, really important to hone in on is, and I think everybody knows this. We all know that people are wired differently. They have different personalities, you know, different work habits. You know, people are, um, you know, more in tune to something early in the morning or late at night. That's their most productive time. But I think it's difficult, um, especially in team environments, when you're leading people or employees to, to remember, not everybody's like me. Right. Not everybody works the same way that I do. Um, not everybody will take as long as I would take, or they might need more time than I would need. Um, and I think that's a really important way uh, just to remember uh, to, to not only lead people, but to also just care for people that's right. as a leader. Absolutely. No, and one of the keys there, Josh, is, you know, what I, one thing I tell my team is like, I have some people like on the publishing side that really work best from about 10 to six or seven their time. You know, and so all I tell them is make sure to overlap with key reports or whatever, you know, okay. to where, um, you know, so find your rhythm. Like I know for me, if it's going to be creative stuff that helps like after lunch and after my afternoon coffee around two o'clock, that's when you want to get me in a room and brainstorm. You know, if you want me focused and getting things knocked out and getting things done, sit me down in the morning. And so I've adjusted my staff meeting several times with my church um, saying, you know, I, I'm missing a lot of key times. Uh, being able to get some creative, like more isolated thinking or producing content on in the mornings. And so we moved our meeting from 10 or 10 a.m. on Mondays to 1130 around right before lunchtime for us. And so um, so that I'm able because the primary task that I'm given by my elders and affirmed by my staff um, is, is teaching and preaching and content creation, vision, big picture thinking. And so I do that best in the mornings and I want to get an early start because one of the things I learned in seminary is get your sermon preachable by Tuesday because ministry always happens. Yep. And so, um, you know, the, the more I can get knocked out early in the week and have control of my schedule, the better and happier I am and the happier everybody else is towards the end of the week. And so if you have a team member who's a creative, you know, like I tell Gatlin, um, my, my worship leader, he has a little studio at his house. I say, Hey, Thursdays, you're expected to go write songs. Um, and practice and work on your craft. Um, and you're welcome to do it half day, whole day, whatever you need to on Thursdays. Um, because you know, it's later in the week, all the main admin should have been done through Wednesday. And, you know, he's prepping to go into his weekend Friday and Saturday. And so, um, I help him to create and I want to yeah. help lead him that direction. And, and having that, one of the things I found helpful is to have my entire staff do a disc assessment and then go through each other's discs together. So we can, you know, overlap them all together and see how we make a great team together. And so doing those type of things, I think, as a leader is extremely helpful, not only to be aware of how you're wired and, and the way you think and your personality, but also to take your team through it so that they're able to get an appreciation for each other. Because you're like, why in the world does Gatlin, you know, disappear on Thursdays? Well, everybody knows Gatlin, you know, needs hours to practice his craft 
and to write songs. And he's a phenomenal songwriter. And so we want to give him space to go and, and do that. Not only does that add value to our organization, but it also adds value to his life yeah. and his ministry. And, and I think when you allow people and give them permission to be how they are, then that's very important. So before I, in my hiring process, I always at least require a disc assessment, if not also an Enneagram assessment. So, um, and, and you and I will do an episode, I'm sure, cause we've both been through the Enneagram quite a bit, but, um, you know, I, I think helping helping people on your team understand themselves better and then as a leader understanding how they're wired allows us to better lead them rather than shooting in the dark. Yeah, I would agree. So you've written about this. I know you mentioned your your book uh, through the story. What are uh, what are some places that people can find out a little bit more about your story, your journey, and even yeah. just learn uh, from this part of your, your story? I know for me personally, it's been incredibly helpful. Um, just to hear from you. So I appreciate you just being vulnerable and, and, and sharing that with us. Yeah, just go to my website, com, And there's a lot of articles you can search through on there. And we're about to give it some face lists, but I list some resources and things that I like to use. And I'm always available. If someone wants to send me an email saying, hey, can we have a 15, 20 minute chat? You know, glad to do that. I also offer coaching for people, pastors and entrepreneurs. So if, 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 if there's more of a long-term opportunity there, then if my schedule warrants for it, I'm glad to open that up. But I know we're out of time for today, but Josh, thanks so much for giving me the opportunity to share. And for those of you listening, feel free to reach out to us at leaderconvos.com. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter as well. And we hope that you'll subscribe to this podcast either on iTunes or on uh, Google Play. And we will talk to you all next week. Thank you for listening to another episode of Leadership Conversations with Josh Reich and Casey Cease. If you've enjoyed what you've heard today, head on over to iTunes or Google Play to subscribe to our podcast. Also, head on over to our website at www.leaderconvos.com.